Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Matthew Spaulding is with us today. He is professor of government at Hillsdale College, and he runs the graduate school program uh, in government at Hillsdale's D.C. campus. He is the author of many things, including We Still Hold These Truths, Rediscovering Our Principles, Reclaiming Our Future, and A Sacred Union of Citizens, Washington's Farewell Address, and The American Character. I love ideas, the American character, the national character, which people used to talk about all the time. Uh, Not much anymore. He is here with us today to talk about something else, however, the so-called 1776 Commission or Project. Uh, Welcome, Professor Spaulding. Great to be with you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Uh, Now, in brief, what was the 1776 Commission in its first form? Um. Good question. So, so the the commission was actually created on uh, Constitution Day in uh, 2020. So, towards the end of the Trump administration, he announced there was going to be a commission, um, and it had a pretty broad uh, purview. And in particular, it was meant to help to advise the president to prepare for the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, which will be coming up here in 2026. Um, And it was to do an assessment of the state of historical knowledge and how to uh, increase and improve that knowledge, especially among younger Americans and the population generally, about the ideas of the founding and American constitutionalism. And then beyond that, you know, kind of set up uh, things for a series of reports. Uh, It's supposed to be commissioned over the two years to do a series of reports about what the federal government uh, could do to possibly encourage those ideas. Did you or, or the, 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 the people in the Trump administration who contacted you, did they feel that, that those ideas, that heritage was under particular threat in the last few years? Well, I, I think the... Um, uh, I think there's a, a, a broader political answer and there's a more more deeply intellectual answer. The, the broader political answer, I think, is that this came up in the context of trying to create some sort of response to the 1619 Project and its popularity uh, in the midst of, um, of, of a campaign. Uh, having said that, there's a the, the broader argument, which I think even predates 1619, but includes that, but takes a deeper... Uh, view of it is that, yes, there were some people uh, who were pushing uh, from the outside, including myself, that um, 
if one was going to argue in favor of the American idea of arguing that America is a nation in a country and should be understood as such, and that you can't have a country without borders and what various other aspects of looking at it, there, there needed to be some assessment of the intellectual grounding behind that, that that really justified that idea in the first place, and that uh, we should, you know, and that the the president should do something uh, uh, about this. Uh, so they announced this commission, and it really it wasn't until after the election had occurred when they were trying to. What the heck do we do with it? Obviously, this was looking ahead to another administration, but what what was what was your specific role? Well, so I, I was uh, uh, I talked to them, you know, off and on during the whole midst of creating this commission and the idea of it. Uh, but then it was really after Thanksgiving, which say well after the election, looking towards December. Uh, a good friend of mine, the administration, uh, Vince Haley, who was the head of speech writing. Uh, and the head of domestic policy, Brooke Rollins, were trying to figure out, what do we do with this commission? Let's call uh, and try to figure, we can figure something out. So they called and asked me about ideas, what to do with it, and asked me whether I would come over to be executive director of it, mm-hmm. which, of course, I didn't really, wasn't really interested in, in doing. I've got a nice gig here at Hillsdale College in D.C. And, and very happy with that. But having said that, the opportunity uh, was really hard to pass up to go work for a president, even though it was after the election. Uh, there was a limited amount of time, uh, but to try to do something to put a marker down to really influence the, the the tone of the debate and the discussion and the argument about the nature of the founding and history, uh, I saw as a great opportunity. I gave them uh, some conditions. Uh, <laughs> one of them was. I didn't want to work at the Department of Education, which was nominally in charge of this commission. I wanted to do it in the context of the White House and and a little hideaway office and wanted to work with uh, Vince and otherwise hire people that had either gone to Hillsdale or that I knew very closely with the objective of actually getting a report out. Lo and behold, in the modern bureaucratic age, this doesn't happen very often to actually get a report out in a matter of um, uh, what, uh, two months, uh, to really, uh, you know, do something with this commission. That's, that's the, really the purpose of it. So you, and you felt that when the Biden administration comes in, you're going to hit a wall. This has to be done quickly. Whatever you do had to be done quickly. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I, I actually went over there in December. Uh, the report came out on Martin Luther King day in January, two days before the Biden inauguration. Uh, that's a pretty quick turnaround. Indeed. Uh, we did not assume that I, I assumed I would be fired by the new president because I was a, uh, appointee, although at the very end, uh, president Trump made me a commissioner to, um, so to, to preserve that. But, uh, the, the notion that in the first executive orders of the new president, he would actually abolish the commission. Uh, we did not expect that. Uh, nor did we expect that the report within moments of the inauguration would be taken down from the uh, from the website. So it was, yes, it was a very intense uh, time uh, to get it done within a matter of literally weeks, uh, to get it through the bureaucracy, um, to you know actually put it out. We were putting it out when the president and the presidential staff were leaving. So it was actually difficult to get it to the president in order for it to be officially released. 
Yeah. But we had to get an official release because that made it a public document, which meant it couldn't be erased. You know, I was in the National Endowment for the Arts under the, the W's administration. And so I, I still had some some contacts at the NEA and the, and the NEH. And they were actually were uh, a little surprised that the politicals were told on Inauguration Day, Biden's Inauguration Day, right? clean out your desks and you are gone by five o'clock. I don't think that had ever happened in the cultural agencies before there was always there's always a transition period it might it might go on for months uh in fact uh for the politicals in the cultural agencies and you you were you were a little shocked that that immediate abolition of the commission hit on that day oh no absolutely i mean uh it was what the the first round of executive orders within hours um abolished the, the commission now i think there's a, there's a backstory to that um, which is that during the time I'm literally uh, writing the, the commission on the fourth floor of the OELB down the hallway where the Biden transition people were preparing all the things they were going to do, including <laughs> executive orders. Um, why do they have to get rid of the 1776 commission and why do they have to erase the 1776 report? That's the key question. Well, that uh, one of the first executive orders was from the president instructing the federal government to do anything and everything to advance uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. And what stood in the way? What 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 was it? What was diametrically opposed to that? What was uh, its intellectual opposite? Was this argument to the 1776 report uh, in the 1776 commission? Now, when the when the commission first came out. Uh, you know, the, the first couple of days of publicity. You know, I, I'm an academic. I, 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 lo I love history. I studied political thought. I teach uh, courses for graduate students. Um, to be attacked by the New York Times and, and the Washington Post and all the major newspapers as being blatantly racist and unserious and uh, uh, the reporters criticized because it had no footnotes, even though in, in the in the book version there actually are footnotes from my academic friends. Um, I, I was a little taken aback by that. I thought this was a debate about history. I thought this was a debate about properly understanding history. Uh, but it turns out it's a it's a much larger thing. Uh, and the the claims of the 1776 report that there are certain truths that can be known and that politics emanates from that and, and our history unfolds from that. Um, was in the way of uh, you know using history, which is really becoming apparently what's going on here. That using history to fight a current political battle and looking backwards uh, to argue about America's systemic racism and uh, using its past in order to make a current argument, trying to change uh, current political opinions and and uh, political outcomes. Yeah. Um, so in a certain sense, the, the 1776 report, which uh, five, 10 years ago, it really, really says nothing outlandish or I mean, there, there are a few things <laughs> it says that kind of uh, poke the bear, I suppose. But it makes, you know, intellectually makes no claims that are unobjectionable here, but they are now and they can't stand it had to be removed. It had to be abolished yeah. um, intellectually, given what they were trying to do. Uh, just before going on, you mentioned the book. I didn't mention the book in the intro. What 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 book do you mean? 
so after the report came out, as I mentioned, it was it was attacked for not having footnotes. Being an academic, of course, I kept all my footnotes and all my records. Uh, so Encounter Books published a version of the report called the 1776 Report, Encounter Books, uh, that includes uh, a brief new uh, introduction by Dr. Arne, uh, Carol Swain, and myself. They were the the, the chairman and the co-chairman. I was the executive director. Uh, but then it also includes all of our footnotes, quotations, and some explanatory notes uh, of, of you know, some of the claims, the outlandish claims made in the report about, for instance, uh, our rights being grounded in nature, which I footnoted to a senator uh, during the Bork hearings named Joseph Biden, who <laughs> defended his rights because they were not given by government, but they were actually given to him by the nature of things and by God. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, but but he, it, he's it, evolved. It, he's evolved. He's he's evolved. He's grown. Um, but but the the the, um, the the larger debate going on here, which I I, I want to want to draw our attention to, uh, is the the deeper claims of 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 the founding. Yes, it's it's about history. Uh, it, there's an argument about you know the existence of slavery in our history, which we take on directly, uh, but. You know, I, I, the report argues that the, the father of, of identity politics in American history is actually John C. Calhoun, who was the defender of slavery, and that the Declaration uh, defends human equality grounded in the nature of things. That is, it, it made arguments about moral truths, self-evident truths, uh, grounded in an understanding of nature, which we can understand as human beings. Um, what's at issue here behind diversity, equity, and inclusion, the 1619 report, all of these things is, yes, it's a debate over history, but don't get fooled by that. It's actually a debate over the nature of truth itself. Hmm. Uh, this is radical deconstruction and use of history uh, to, to undermine the very claim that we can know things and that we can know things and imperfectly and with flaws um, unfold those truths and, and, and uh, 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 appeal to those truths, as Lincoln did. Lincoln's our guide in, in our report. Uh, appeal to those truths and, and aspire to those truths. That's a very different understanding about the very nature of politics and about what it means to be human. That's at root, I think, what is going on in the debate over this report. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. You mentioned that the New York Times and the, and the Post uh, attacked. What was the reception of, of the report, or if not the book, among academic historians? Well, as, as, as you know, there was a famous attack on the 1619 Project by, I think it was five, five or six historians when that first came out. Yep. Um, you know, that kind of tells you the, the, the state of that debate, you know, right there. Um, you know, they, they've, they're very reluctant to engage in these things. 
because they're historians, and so they've this is all political. Um, so you know the 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 academics on the left, of course, attacked it because it had no footnotes. This was not written by historians, even though Victor Davis Hanson is a historian, for instance. But he's not the right kind of historian because he's a classical historian. I mean, this is you know, so it, it was kind of that kind of level. This wasn't done by professional academics. Um, to which our response was, well, no, this was a this is a public document written by academics, not all academics, but a, uh, a mix of academics and public thinkers uh, to influence the public debate in the public square. Um, the problem is that the academic debate over these questions, uh, and there's a good academic debate, there's a lively academic, it's a, there's some good historians on the, all of these questions, uh, is itself completely strangled by this deeper philosophical problem we have, which is that American history really unfolds and can only be understood if it's if, unless it's understood to be uh, playing out from the principles of the Declaration of Independence. And those are either true or they're not true. And the report makes the bold claim that they're true. And that's the essence of American history. History is flawed and perfect, makes mistakes. But I mean, it's a movement toward those principles, fulfilling those principles. That's how Martin Luther King understood it. That's how that's how Lincoln understood it. Yeah. Every important political movement in American history, anti-communism, anti-abortion, uh, women's rights, uh, anti-slavery, all look back to the, the, what Frederick Douglass called the ring bolt of American history, uh, the Declaration of Independence, for its grounding. Why? Because it's, it's morally moored in a claim of truth. Now, the, the, the modern left, denies that for a number of reasons, uh, a certain kind of uh, moral relativism, intellectual uh, nihilism. Um, uh, but they're using the guise of the mistakes and flaws of history, which I directly uh, discuss and talk about and think we all should teach about. Uh, but that's merely a guise to to deny the history is important at all. Um, History, it, it should be ignored. And what we want to do is merely reconstruct. It's all about reconstructing society, changing it, re reimagining it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a very different thing. And we should see it for what it is. You know, that the, the report was was 41 pages. It wasn't just a, a you know, three to five page piece. So I want to, want to make that clear. Uh, and one of the things that it said, maybe this was one of the poking the bear statements, is that it cast identity politics as a, quote, challenge to American principles, really along the order of the way in which communism was a challenge to American principles during the Cold War. Did that particularly incense the, the leftist critics? Um, it, it, it did. Um, and uh, part, partially they didn't quite understand, I think, what we meant by that. And because a lot of people are upset because we also put into that category um, communism, fascism, racism, identity politics, uh, slavery, uh, but also progressivism, by which we meant intellectual progressivism, which is to say that uh, there actually is a, an intellectual connection between all of these things, um, including my reference earlier back to John C. Calhoun as the, as the, as the father of identity politics which is that uh, 
we don't understand politics and our lives and our history based on uh, what we can know grounded in nature about man and humanity and 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 uh, the eternal questions. Um, it's it's what we can come to know based on either science or some sort of claim of a right to rule separate from that nature. Uh, and all of these things have that in common. Uh, the, the pro-slavery South, the early progressives who believed in, in uh, eugenics and uh, the modern beginnings of the administrative state, uh, the communists, the fascists, um, and modern uh, racial identity. It, it really all comes from the same source, which is namely a complete denial of uh, what it means to be human um, and instead a, an injection of uh, uh, a reshaping of that, which ultimately turns out in most cases, especially uh, under fascism and communism, to be the use of force uh, to, to create those identities. Um, I think that's what's going on today in terms of uh, uh, a lot of things, not only in terms of racial identity, but now gender identity and, and all of these things, which is a self, it's kind of a self-empowerment, um, uh, but it, it's intellectually grounded in the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's strange to me that people, progressives, wouldn't like uh, the your casting of progressivism as a challenge to American founding principles because progressives themselves say that the founding principles are dated and backward. They, they, they might have been good for 1776, but this is, this is 1920. This is 1965 now. Uh, we, we've got to get beyond that. Aren't they saying the same thing themselves? I, I think that's, I, I, that's right. And that was Aaron's progressive. And in many ways, that's the argument now, which is, Fine, you can. Well, first of all, I think that was the, the what we might call the old, argument of the old left, which was okay, fine, but those are dead ideas, uh, as opposed to say the living constitution uh, theory. <laughs> um, but I think we, now we've entered a new stage of the historical debate, uh, which is not merely that these are old ideas, but these are wrong ideas. Uh, this is not merely the progressive of the past, which which uh, looked at it as more of a relative historicist point of view. Uh, but now this is a view of, of, of history that is much more radical uh, and much more abrasive in, in tearing things down. It's, it's, a, it's a much different debate. If, if, if this is merely a debate with the old progressives, uh, we can engage that debate and, and, and let it happen. Uh, but that's not where they're at. Uh, and the reason that the 1776 report and the claims of intellectual conservatives and historians and uh, uh, religious believers and others uh, are, are, must be rejected. You can't tolerate them is because they're, they're grounded on a claim that there is a truth and that we can come to know that truth or some aspect of that truth is a way to guide our lives. That's the claim of the Declaration. It doesn't, it doesn't have all answers, but there's some basic thing we can know, that we are all equally human and none is born to rule another and that uh, this is why uh, Lincoln looked to the Declaration and Martin Luther King looked to the Declaration as the answer to slavery. This is yeah. why John C. Calhoun had to attack the Declaration. Hmm. And this hmm. is why modern racial identity uh, arguments 
have to attack the founding. It's a claim. It's a truth claim, as we say nowadays. Um, and that can't be tolerated. Yeah. You, you know, uh, another thing one finds in the commission is criticism of the civil rights movement, which, you know, li- liberalism holds sacred. Uh, but you criticize it for leaving its principles once once we, we had the laws in place, the Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act, and, quote, turning to programs, right, the implementation, turning to programs that ran counter to the lofty ideals of the founders. What, what would be an example of that? Well, so, so uh, just... In your question there, the distinction we make in the report is the distinction between the early civil rights movement and the uh, the later civil rights movement. So the, the early civil rights movement properly looked back to the founding and, and the, those principles. Uh, the the later civil rights movement, I think, um, went in a number of squirrely directions. Both its own uh, itself intellectually, it started getting more interested in uh, uh, the early beginnings of racial identity and racial politics, uh, which included a much more aggressive and um, aspect to it. Uh, the courts uh, got much more involved and started turning in a, in a different direction, which was to enforce um, um, you know, various forms of uh, racial identity and um, uh, you know, it, it ultimately really against equality. Uh, and then of course, how the 64 Civil Rights Act you know, played out in the courts and the bureaucracy was a very much different thing. Yeah. Uh, and then once the federal, federal government starts building programs around that new understanding, those programs become very powerful and, you know, starts building a welfare state that uh, is itself a, a problem of a, of a different sort, but it's informed by this. Yeah. So uh, again, I mean, the, the, the claim here is that uh, this is not this is not left and right. It, it, it is this is really a, a claim of what's the nature of politics? Where, where do we find the grounding for what we all believe is is the principle of America, which is that we are equal? We're, you know, um, uh, I think the left and the right would both say that's the principle yep. uh, uh, behind it. Um, how does that work? Well, I mean, the the. The, the, the old way of understanding politics, I think the right way, is that you understand a principle and then we work our way uh, through to apply that principle in particular circumstances. We make mistakes. We have arguments. We have uh, elections. And by the, by the rule of law, we figure out how best to govern ourselves. Um, the problem is that modern progressivism, uh, which really, you really do see in the modern civil rights movement, uh, takes on a view that it's not about self-government. It's really more about how administrative experts and bureaucrats you know, perceive the best ways uh, to do this. And unfortunately, more and more of the courts are on kind of working with them in a way that takes a lot of these questions out of our politics and makes it more administrative. Yeah. And I think that in of itself, which is implied in the report as well, uh, the various bureaucratic administration of things has become a problem. Indeed. Uh, one thing I like in the report was that you actually bring up uh, some novelists, uh, poets. You bring up good old American songs as well, uh, which often is is missing in conservative discussions of America, which remain sort of at the level of principle and 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 creed. That we don't get the arts, the American arts, the American the American cultural heritage. 
Was that a deliberate insertion on your part? Yeah, it, 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 it actually was. If you recall, so the purpose of the report is to advise what should be done between now and the, and the anniversary of the declaration. Um, and uh, we very much wanted to revive a, an understanding of these ideas in the popular mind, uh, in the American mind, as, as Jefferson called it. Uh, but a, a large component of that we wanted to point to uh, has to do with uh, the arts, um, um, you know, culture, uh, all these other aspects, which really do shape the mind in a way that is is, is very important. I mean, one one thing the the, the book actually uh, alludes to in several places is architecture. And the founders, for instance, took architecture very seriously. Yeah. Uh, and there were classical architecture. The way I mean, you know, gosh, I mean, if you come to Washington D.C. now, the architecture right. you can really tell where the modern bureaucracy lives in these ugly buildings. <laughs> They're but, awful. You're right. Poetry, awful. song, um, all of those things are extremely Im- important to shape, you know, shape the mind. Um, which, which is why, you know, teaching these ideas, um, you know, how, how do you teach these ideas? We, we conservatives oftentimes think of these things as these kind of intellectual conversations we have, like we're in graduate school and teaching college students. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's actually not the where you learn to be, to, to, to love these things. And ultimately, what's the objective here is to know them, to understand these truths, but to love them and to love this country because of those truths. Well, that's patriotism, and it should be a, a reasonable patriotism, a grounded patriotism, but you teach that especially to the young through uh, art, through poetry, through literature, uh, through story, yep. uh, and, and that becomes crucially important, and I think we oftentimes um, ignore that uh, on the assumption that somehow we're just going to win the argument when they become of, yeah. of uh, an age to understand the rational case. Uh, last question, Matthew. Where is the project now? Uh, will it will it have a, a, a federal future uh, when when Donald Trump or 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 Governor DeSantis uh, beats Kamala in twenty twenty four? That's a great question. So <laughs> when when the uh, commission was abolished, we we've met several times since then. But but for all intents and purposes, the um, the work of the commission kind of went out to its individual commissioners. So, for instance, Hillsdale College focused on what it does best, and the and the college actually has a uh, 1776 curriculum, um, and other institutions have been doing their part. Yeah. Um, will it come back in some form? We've kind of played around with the idea of having another report uh, as we have uh, approached the the, the two year anniversary. Uh, if it comes back in some other form, that would be great. I would say it actually is, is alive and well. You mentioned DeSantis in Florida. Um, he doesn't call it that, but essentially, if you look at his work on uh, uh, civic education, what he's doing, um, his, his the curriculum they're developing, the programs they're doing for high school teachers in, in the Florida Department of Education, I, I would say that, that that sense of the commission is, is alive and well, which which is what we called for. We called for uh, this all over the place. There, uh, I have spoken to many counties and places around the country that have their own uh, 1776 commissions, state statewide. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think the intention here was this to be a federal project somehow in the in the federal government. It was to inspire uh, a movement of reviving these ideas as we approach the anniversary of the Declaration. Right. And I think we did so. And, and we, we we poked the bear sufficiently that uh, I think I'm very proud to say we contributed to that debate. 
It's the 1776 Project for our listeners. That there's going to be there's a book form. We'll have a link to that. And it's good to hear that there are local forms of this project uh, popping up, and that it might be hitting the uh, civics classes in America because we sure need it. Uh, Professor Spalding, thank you for joining us. Great to be with you, Mark. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.